0: Great morning, everybody. Good morning. It's lovely to see you and um, great to be joined by a few of you I know who weren't here last night. Um, so I'd, like, I'd, I'd attempt a quick summary, but that's not going to be possible. But really um, what's been on our heart for this weekend is that um, the Lord wants us to capture a fresh and bigger perspective of what he's calling us to. And that is not something which comes out of nowhere, but that is the restoration of his created intent for us, that we would be his image bearers upon the earth. And um, being image bearers really is, is so much bigger than we think because we often think in terms of, well, I'm an image bearer of God, which means I reflect his character. And that's right. But also, it's not just about reflecting his character. It's, all about, it's also about representing him in his creation. Uh, it's, it's about call as well as character. And so we were seeing right from the beginning that as God creates man and woman, he places them together, that they're called into partnership with God to extend his kingdom, to take to take what he's given in Eden and take it out into the whole of creation. And there's these two great themes that run through the Bible. So there's this theme of of covenant, of being in close relationship with God. And then there's this theme of kingdom, of of bearing his image, taking responsibility. And you see it right the way through the scriptures. There's the intimacy, and then there's the authority. There's, There's the relationship, and then there's the responsibility. There's, there's the covenant, there's the kingdom, there's, there's the priesthood, and there's the going and being royal, which is why the scriptures refer to us again and again as a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. And um, for many of us, uh, as we've come into renewal and we've, we've learned more about the presence and power of God and we've been pressing into the things of his spirit, for us, the way in has been intimacy. Just the, the, the fact that we can have this close and deep and transforming relationship with God and we can enjoy his love and we love his presence, um, that's so important. But often as we go into that, when we've been going after it for some time, we start getting a little frustrated. You know, I know I want more of this, Lord. I want more of you. And uh, I, I've come to believe that, that actually part of the getting more of God, part of the growing in intimacy with him, is actually going with him. Because Jesus set this rhythm up where, where the disciples were called to be with him, but he, they are also going to be sent as well. And it's actually that the way to greater intimacy is actually going with God in authority. It's just like I was saying, it's like the way with our parents, the way that we build memories, the way that we do things with them, is, is because we do things with them. Partnership. You know, me, me getting involved in the things that my dad was doing isn't necessarily going to make them any better when I'm a kid. But it's going to cause me to grow closer it's going to help me grow it's going to help me take on the image and the likeness of my father and so um, we really believe that that actually there's a call on god that that those who are hungry for more he's saying come with me come with me step into something let's let's go for something let's let's go out and it's as we take the authority that we go out um, and uh, as we take the authority as we go out as we use it actually we're going to discover an intimacy with god that is greater than anything we've known for. So if your heart's longing for more, my encouragement is let's just listen to what um, the Father's saying, because he's kind of saying, come away with me. You know, let's go for it. Let's go for it together. Let's go for an adventure. You know, this, this intimacy, it's wonderful, but it's there so we can grow in the authority, which leads us back into the intimacy. It's that rhythm all the time. And uh, just as in scripture, if we work all the time, God's calling us into a season of rest. If we're resting all the time, God's calling us into a season of work. We we need to be moving between these two all the time. Uh, Gareth kindly mentioned the books that we've written. Um, I usually say um, my books are available in all the usual places, Oxfam, um, British Heart Foundation, Two Rider. Um, But if you want a new one, they're at the back. Um, And we've written three books. Uh, So the first one I wrote, the black one, Growing in Circles, is is really about the the way that we go into the more of God is not normally by getting... um, revelation of something we've never heard before it's normally by getting a revelation of something we already knew at a more profound level so if i was to say to you you know what is what is the teaching or the thought that has made the most difference in your life Um, often people will come back and they'll go it's when i really understood that god loves me and it's like isn't that the first thing we teach children in sunday school god loves you and it's like yes but there's a the penny needs to drop doesn't it you need to know that in a more profound way or when I realized what it is to be a child of God or a son or a daughter of God, as we were saying last night. Um, Perhaps what it is to, to have the authority that comes with being a son or daughter of God. So last night, if you weren't here, we were talking about how in Galatians 4, the apostle Paul talks about how we are grown up children of God. We're not little children of God, but we're ones who have come of age and we're now trusted to take from our inheritance and start to use it. Um, to be the stewards that God created us to be in Genesis. So that, that book really is about how we learn those things, It's the things that we need to know. And then what Becky and I are going to share this morning is, is partly from um, the second book, which is the things that we find we need to overcome as we start going after that. And um, we all have things to overcome. And we, we talked right at the end last night about the ways in which we subtly disqualify ourselves from being the objects of the promises that God makes. And we think, yeah, I believe that, but inside something says, but I don't believe that for me. You know, lots of us think that God does miracles, God is powerful, he is willing, he is able. The question is, does he do them here? Does he do them now? Does he do them through me? And uh, you know, I believe that God is, is really trying to address those issues in us because there is more and he's calling us into more. And I think this, um, this conference sitting where it does within this p- uh, period where hundreds of thousands of people are praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is fantastic. And of course on a bigger perspective, we, we recognize that there's been an amazing move of, of intercession in the last decade or more. But, and that I have to believe will not go unanswered by heaven. That if hundreds of thousands of people are coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done the Father's going to answer. I don't know what it's going to look like, but there's been a kind of call on our hearts for the last few years to prepare people for the next move of God. To, just to recognize, Becky and I, as we look back over our own lives, we, we, we realized that where we had come to with the Lord and what we'd learned from him so often was, was because we'd had seasons of encounter. We'd met him powerfully. And um, there was a generation in our own church growing up that, that had, didn't know that. You know, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't tell me about a time when they were just overwhelmed by the presence and power of God and it's like yeah but it's coming again it's coming again the Lord's going to do that that's, that's going to be in some way the answers to the prayers that we've been praying so our, our sense was we've got to get people ready for that I found also as a church leader that often it's really hard to motivate people to do things um, and then I have to confess that it's really hard for me to motivate myself to do things sometimes as well And often it's because we've we've missed an important step out. So if if it's like evangelism, you know, there isn't a church leader in the world, I think, who who thinks, my church is so on fire for evangelism, we don't need any more of that, let's pull back slightly. Um, All of us are going, I wish we were more evangelistic. And the normal uh, leader's response is, we're going to preach harder, so we better do a sermon series about evangelism. So let's preach, preach, preach. And what will happen is, if you preach a lot about evangelism for a while, a few people will start to do it. Some of them out of guilt, some of them because they've caught it. Uh, And then, so we look at it and we go, I didn't quite get the fruit that I wanted. So we think, well, maybe the issue is it's not just telling people how to do it. We've got to show people how to do it. You know, practically, we need to train people in evangelism so that they've got a model they can run with. And uh, so what we do is we do little courses on evangelism. And here's how to craft your testimony. And here's how to, you know, share your faith in 90 seconds. And here's how to answer the four most common objections that people come up with. And the truth is, if you do that, after a while people will start doing it for a while. And it's the same, but what happens is, as soon as you take your foot off the pedal, we all fall back into the normal mode of, there's a few people that do it, but most of us, we kind of struggle. We know we should, but we don't. And as we look back over our lives, um, if, we, if we say, well, when, when was I sharing Jesus most naturally, most freely? When was it that I just couldn't help myself? it's actually not when I was being told to do it or when I was being trained to do it, but when I could not help myself because I was so full of what God was doing. See, the secret's not teaching, it's not training. The secret is actually getting people into the presence of God. The Apostle Paul says, Christ's love compels me. Christ's love compels me. And I, I believe that that was an experience of his love. And so the primary thing I think we as church leaders need to do is we need to, To help create churches where people are able to encounter God, where they can have an experience of God. But we need to prepare people for that because um, a greater experience of God doesn't doesn't come as something that we can always and easily um, receive. Uh, So I wanted to just share some thoughts from uh, Matthew chapter 14, which is Jesus walking on water hence the book title. I think he got there first. We just came along and nicked the title later. Um, But it's a great chapter because it really speaks directly into that issue of what happens when Jesus does a new thing that you haven't seen him do before. And um, in context, it's Matthew chapter 14. This is actually a really difficult time in the life and ministry of Jesus. So Jesus has just heard of the death of John the Baptist, and... It says in verse 13 that when Jesus heard about this, he withdrew privately. So this is a time when he needs to go away to be with his father, to process the emotion of what's happened, maybe to think about the implications for him as he begins to discern the path of the cross that he's being sent to. So Jesus is wanting to withdraw. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him. Ministry never seems to end. And so he's trying to get away. Actually, ministry follows him. Uh, When he gets to the other side of the lake, he sees this large crowd, but he's never without compassion. And so he heals their sick. And now you know the rest of the story. You know, the disciples come to him and say, this is a remote place. These people have no food. You need to disperse the crowd so that they can go on to the villages and find themselves something to eat. And what Jesus says to them is, they don't need to go away. You can give them something to eat. And he's setting up an object lesson for them because they're looking at it and they say, well, we have very limited resources. You know, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish and there's thousands of people here. And the Lord says, give me what you've got and I will make it sufficient. That's the basic lesson of this, isn't it? The feeding of the 5,000. Um, and so they do that. I, I believe, as many commentators say, that the miracle didn't happen in the hands of Jesus, but it happened in the hands of the disciples. As they took what Jesus had blessed and broken, as they distributed it, it didn't run out at that point. And so they were learning that if we just give Jesus what we've got, it may not look like much, but if we give him what we've got, he can do incredible things with it. Now, they're meant to bear that in mind, and they're meant to have learned from that. Several times in the scripture, Jesus comes back and says, did you not learn the lesson of the loaves and the fish? So let's, let's look into what happens next because having satisfied the crowd and dealt with the issue, in verse 22 it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. He dismissed the crowd. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later at night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land and it's buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, it's just an interesting point because a lot of us think that if we're following the will of God, it's going to be plain sailing. And when we come up against opposition, when things are buffeting us and blowing against us, our first thought is somehow I've stepped out of the will of God. You know, I I must have got this wrong. I'm I'm experiencing sort of opposition here. Um, Lord, where are you? You know, Have I taken a wrong turn? No, quite often, Jesus will send us into choppy water Okay, we, you know, Quite often, he just takes us through storms rather than delivers us from storms. And this is one of those great examples. But the geography of this is interesting because this is actually the, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I've not been to the Holy Land, but people who have tell me that the Sea of Galilee is um, topographically quite interesting. It's quite a shallow lake. I think it's the second lowest in the world. Um, Dead Sea is lower, obviously, but this is the second. It's also... Um, on one side, it has kind of the plains, and on the other side, it has the mountains. And so you get this interesting phenomenon of the, the, the cold air coming off the mountains, the hot air coming up from the plains. And where cold and hot meets, you get turbulence. Where you have a shallow lake, that means that storms can whip up incredibly quickly. And the disciples are, many of them experienced sailors, so they know they're in trouble. And we have a number of stories in the scripture about that, don't we? And that's the context for where they have a new encounter with Jesus, where he comes and does something that they haven't seen him do before. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, when the disciples saw saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. That's the first thing that often happens when God starts to move in our lives in a fresh way. Now, it's interesting, this, because I've heard so many people over the years say, you know, when the Spirit starts to move in a church, um, normally what will happen is the Spirit starts to move in a church, what you see is the manifestation or the, the, the physical human response to the presence of God. You know, often we see people do, do things in church, like they, they shake or they fall or they cry, or, you know, and, and sometimes people say, well, what's, what's that all about? And the answer is, that's about nothing doesn't really matter what's going on on the outside except that it reflects something going on on the inside and um, because the way that God has made us is that we we're connected beings this is the way light detectors work by the way the, the light detectors work because you, your body can't help but tell what actually is going on inside and so anybody who knows the science can work it out fairly quickly I can spot you know and you can learn to do this as well if people are falling in love Because you'll actually see physiological changes as the object of affection comes into the room, the pupils will dilate, the flush will come, the the breathing will become a little bit shallow. You know, if they're really in love, the panting will start, you know. Um, But the point is, you you can't hide it because what's going on inside comes out on the outside. And, And so much more if we're touched by the presence and power of God. Now, when God goes to work on the inside of us, sometimes. It doesn't matter if it's there or if it isn't, but quite often it will be, as we're touched on the inside, so we show it on the outside. And so what often happens is people then feel a little bit threatened and out of control. And I've often heard people say, when the Spirit of God starts to move in people's lives or in in the church around them, I've heard people say, this can't be God because I feel afraid. Now, anybody who's halfway familiar with the Scripture will probably go, that's a pretty dumb thing to say, isn't it? Because throughout the scripture, when people come into a fresh experience of God, they are afraid. When even the angels, when the angels turn up, what's the first thing an angel says? Do not be afraid. Why is that? Because it's scary. Anytime we're in the presence of something which is bigger than we are, anytime our eyes are suddenly open to a reality that is bigger than we've yet perceived, we are going to feel afraid. Totally, totally normal. Um, I've been terrified in many Christian meetings over the years. You get used to it. Put it that way. You know, there are times when God's—you're just in the presence of God, and that's—you know—often I think why in Scripture we see people get on the floor. It's because He is—he's great. God is big, you know, and so that it is appropriate sometimes to feel a little bit unsure. So the disciples cry out in terror. However, they then go a little bit too far because. They then say, it's a ghost, and they cry out in even more fear. That's to misattribute what's going on. I think it's okay to be slightly afraid in the presence of God, because he's big and we're little. It's not a good thing to go, that's not God. You know, they, they just went that little bit too far. It's very insulting to the one that they've loved and been with for a year or two, to actually go, you're not a holy spirit, you're an unclean spirit, this is, this is a ghost. But well, that's the only frame they had for this. They, they recognized it was supernatural, but they didn't really understand what it was. And unfortunately, they too quickly misattributed, this is not God. This must be a ghost. That's a bad place to be, so let's not do that. The good thing is that when we're in those places of, of not being sure what's going on, just look at verse 27. Because it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. So Jesus will always reassure us. When the Spirit starts to move, if Jesus starts to show something of himself we haven't known before, then he will reassure us. Don't worry, it's me. It is me. Don't be afraid. He he might reassure you through the scripture. He'll point you back there and say, "Look, look at this. Quite often I've gone back into the Bible, having had an encounter with God, and I've gone, I see that passage in a new light now. I wonder if that's what this person was experiencing, or I wonder if that's what that person encountered. I wonder if that's what that verse means and it comes alive in a fresh way. Sometimes God will reassure you through just that still small voice where he speaks to you and says, it is me. Or you'll know his peace, it will come to you. Or you'll hear through the testimony of others, this is God, this is God, this is good. And we can do that for each other. We can encourage each other just to hang in there when we feel we're a little bit stretched, you know, a little bit challenged the Lord will, will always answer our fears, even deal with our misapprehensions. Take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. But you know, the greatest part of the scripture is what happens next. And I, I just love this so much because Jesus walking on water at one level is just yet another miracle to chalk up to Jesus. You know, it it doesn't really surprise me that Jesus walks on water. You know, he made it, he can do what he likes with it. it. What really excites me is that Peter has the courage to say, Lord, if this is you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come to you where you are. Now just think about that for a moment, because Peter is somebody who is normally by us known for his faults and failings, I think. I mean, we love his boldness, we, we love his heart, but we quite often tell the stories of where Peter gets it all wrong or Peter blurts it all out. And just think of the answers Jesus could have given to this question. Lord, if it's, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus could easily have dealt with Peter as he, does, as he does later with James and John. Not for you to say. He could easily have dealt with Peter along the lines of, Peter, I mean, with your faults and failings, seriously, you think you can come and do what I'm doing? He, He could have said, Peter, I'm doing this because of who I am and you're not who I am. But he doesn't. It's just beautiful that Peter blurts out this question and the Lord simply says, come, come. It's as simple as that. If you want to be where Jesus is, you can come. And this, for me, has become an incredible invitation to step into the supernatural. You know, that, that, that we could actually be, be called to step out of our boat and to be in the impossible with Jesus. That If, the, if you find in your heart the desire for the more, you know, I, I would love to see those things. Not just read about them from other parts of the world but I would love to see those things. I would love to live in an experience that that looks like what I read in the scripture because God's still the same. Then I think the Lord's word to his church in these days is come, come. Simple word of invitation. And really every encounter with Jesus is an invitation. It's an opportunity for us to step into something more. When he shows us something new, it's because he wants us to come into something new with him. But the question is, if that's the case, what would stop us from getting out of the boat? So Becky and I realized that in our own testimonies, um, both of us had, had needed to overcome things in our lives. And so the, the books that we wrote were, were quite testimonial. By the way, the walking on water one's far better than the other one because Becky wrote half of it. But, um, but in them, we tell quite a lot of our story. And if you were to get to know us, you would know that we're actually, neither of us are people who like talking about ourselves. And one of the fears of writing a book and putting quite a lot of your own story in there is that people will read it and think, oh, they must think there's something. And that's completely to miss the point, The the reason we wrote the books is because we think we're bang ordinary. We know we're really average people, and so the point of writing this is, is that this therefore must be for everybody. That's why I fundamentally believe that the Lord is saying to each and every one of us, step out of the boat, join me. Join me in things that you never thought were even possible. So we put ourselves into the shoes of Peter and said, what would stop Peter from stepping out of the boat? And the answer very simply is two things, his head or his heart. The head is, I, I can't do this. Can... Until you explain to me how this is possibly going to work, how on earth am I going to you know, walk on the water? I can see you're doing it, but I don't understand it. And for me, that was the big issue, my my dominant rational mind, my way of thinking. For Becky, that wasn't the main issue. Becky was just great at trusting God, but her life experience, which she'll share in the second session, was was one of of pain and brokenness and tragedy. And, And as a result, there was a natural tendency to sort of pull back, let others go first, not think that things are going to go well. And so each of us Probably have both of those going on. Some of us probably will be more head-orientated people than heart-orientated people. If you're a, a thinker, not a feeler, you're probably more like me and you might chime with aspects of my story. Just out of interest, it's usually about 50-50. It's not a male-female split at all. It runs equally across the genders. How many of us are thinkers, head over heart? Yep, fantastic. Just wanna honor you, you are the greatest. Um, <laughs> How many of you like Becky? are more kind of like emotionally driven, um, heart people? Yeah, by definition, all the rest. Anybody who hasn't put a hand up yet? It's just confused. That's that's fine. We're all a little bit of both. That's the point. I do have a heart, just not a very big one. Um, so, uh, so for me, the, I, I said last night a little bit about coming into a fullness of the spirit, and how that began to heal for me the difference, the the connection between my head and my heart. Uh, The other thing that really helped me in those times was I used to do um, the Navigator's Topical Memory System. This was a Bible verse memory system. Some of you are nodding. Essentially, what you got was a, a little card. That's a one inch by two inches with a Bible verse on it, and you'd kind of memorize bits of Scripture. And one of the bits of Scripture I memorized was Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I shall start. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will guide and direct your paths. Or some version like that. Yeah. Now we've got so many Bible translations, it's just chaos, isn't it, when we try and do that. Um, now I'd, I'd memorized that scripture. And as I was reflecting on this experience of it, of being filled with the Spirit, as, I didn't even know what that was, but that's what, what it was I realized later. I realized... I mean, you know, I'm in real trouble because the scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Well, my entire orientation to life is to try and get my head around things. So easily, I lean on my own understanding. That's where I go to. And for me, as I'd suddenly had the doors of my perception blown off uh, to see what was possible with God and and sense this kind of invitation from God to step into the supernatural with him and Started getting involved in ministries of, of uh, signs and wonders in evangelism and things like that. For me, the big problem was, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And that, that probably, that little verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's about trust. and It's about your heart. It's about willingness to go beyond your understanding. Now, of course, we know, don't we? It's obvious. It's absolutely obvious to any of us if we think about it. That we're never going to be able to get our heads around God. He's far bigger. As I said yesterday, he he will do more than we can ask or imagine. He is beyond our understanding. But sometimes, particularly if we're head-orientated people, we set that up as a filter. We're so used to approaching life in that way that we actually limit what we're able to step into because of an internal head thing. So for me, what was really important was learning to step into things that I didn't understand couldn't fully comprehend, but was just going to have to trust God in. Um, Gareth mentioned John Peters, and his book is brilliant, so if you haven't got it, do buy it. But John and I met at Theological College, and I, I went as a, um, somebody who'd been filled with the Spirit, never met any charismatics. i genuinely had not even you know, heard of new wine or anything like that. Um, but we ended up at Theological College together. And John worked out fairly quickly from talking to me that Um, that I'd been filled with the Spirit and that I'd come to believe in all these supernatural things, but also knew I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so um, he said to me um, over a game of snooker, do you pray in tongues? And I said, no. And I I said, uh, this is my experience when I was filled with the Spirit lying in my bed as a student. And uh, on the third or fourth night that it happened, I tried a few syllables, but I realized it was just me. And John, in his loving pastoral way, said, of course, you moron, it's you. Um, (laughs) LAUGHTER have you not read in the scripture, they spoke in tongues as the Holy Spirit gives them utterance? And he said, it's, it's just like anything supernatural, there's a partnership. You know, if you're going to see the sick healed, you're going to have to pray for them. That's your bit. God will then come and do some stuff. If you're going to speak in tongues, you're going to have to speak. You have to make some noise. It's not that God's going to possess you, it's that you're going to have to cooperate with the work of the Spirit. And so some people get testimony of, of when the Spirit comes and they suddenly find themselves speaking in fully formed languages. That's not for everyone. Some people have to take baby steps into it and they just start to trust God and it begins to flow. And like language reception, gradually a syllable or two becomes a language. A bit like you turn the tap on in the garden. You know, you haven't used it for years and it, it you know, it just, and then it starts to flow. You know, for me, the gift of tongues came like that. So John said, let's, let's nip upstairs to your room. Uh, we'll praise God in English and then uh, I'll pray in tongues, you join in. It's as simple as that. Oh, great, okay, so, um, so that's what we did. And, and I started making some sounds. And John said, that's it, that's it. Keep going. Just keep practicing five minutes a day. You'll be fine. I've got no level of confidence in it at all. But he said to me at the end of that, um, I'm going out tomorrow night to speak at a college. Would you like to come as my ministry team? So I said, yeah, okay, fine. I was, I'm totally up for this. I know something's going on and I want to be trained. So we went the next night and... and um, he spoke on the Holy Spirit. It wasn't great, as I recall. And um, <laughs> I always say that because occasionally he hears me talk. And um, it, what he did was he said, well, what are going to do now? We're going to pray for everybody. So everybody stand up, put your hands out as, like you're going to receive a gift. You know, close your eyes so you're not distracted by me. And um, then he says, I'm going to put some music on. Now, this is back in the day. So we've got a ghetto blaster. And we've got a cassette tape of Now That's What I Call a Worship One. And we, <laughs> you know, we stick it in. Yeah, you know, on it goes. So the room was filled with heavenly sounds and everybody's standing there like this. And John had said to me, when I asked the Spirit to come, we're going to go around and we're going to just, whenever you see God moving, you go and bless what he's doing. So I thought, okay, fine, excellent. So as soon as we you know, asked the Holy Spirit to come, fairly quickly, John's got his hand on somebody and then he's got his hand on somebody else. He's run out of limbs. He's now got his foot on a third. And, um, and I, he said, wherever you see the Holy Spirit, just go and pray with that person. Slight problem. I have no idea what that looks like. I mean, I'm totally new to this, got no idea what it looks like the Holy Spirit is on someone. I've learned to recognize some signs now of people responding, but those days, no clue. So I'm just like standing there, and so after a while, he starts going, oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize he's directing me over to this girl, and as I look at her, I think, you know, she is kind of responding to God in a slightly different way, so okay, I wander over. So I wandered over, and what he'd said was, just just pray for people, and and by the way, when you run out of things to pray for them, why don't you use that gift of tongues that you don't believe in? So I was like, okay, right? Well, so I prayed every prayer I knew to pray for this girl, and after about 30 seconds, I'm out, I'm done. (laughs) So I've got no idea what's going on. And I suddenly realized, oh no, I'm going to have to use that gift of tongues I don't believe in. Fortunately, because of the ghetto blaster, the room is very loud, so I can probably get away with that without anybody hearing, but I'm incredibly self-conscious, and so my, my first ever use of the gift of tongues in a public setting was directed to my armpit very quietly. So I'm, like, oh this. So I'm praying for her, and I know she can't hear me, because I, can, I can't hear me. And you know, my armpit's a lot closer than her ear, so. Um, but the moment I started to speak in tongues, she fell to the floor, and started flopping like a fish, which he proceeded to do for about 10 minutes. And John denies this, but I remember it distinctly. From across the room, he goes, like that. Um, so, <laughs> so, it's like, you got one! Fantastic! You know, and it, I think it was, what it was is because when you, when you step out into something for the first time that you don't understand, you can't get your head around, and you see God use it. It's an amazing expression of trusting God with your heart, which he knew was my hang-up. Um, What happened, by the way, was um, after about 10 minutes, she got up and she said, oh, it was amazing, it was amazing. Um, And what she said was, um, in in that place of standing there, I just suddenly went back into a memory where my father taught me to swim. And the way that my father taught me to swim was he took me to the deep end of the pool and he threw me in. And um, when I was floundering around and about to drown, he would pull me out and he would say, okay, get your breath back, we'll try again in five minutes. So she had this incredibly impaired relationship of trust with her earthly father and uh, not had a great relationship with him really over the years. And so what she said was, I went back into that memory, but in that memory, as I was thrown into the water, Jesus was there holding me up. And Jesus was saying to me, this is what a good father is like. And she realized that God, her heavenly father was trustworthy in a way that her earthly father had failed to be. And she actually, after we'd prayed with her, she went off and phoned her father for the first time in years. It was always, the contact was always initiated the other way before. And I met her about a year later and um, her relationship with her earthly father was completely healed and she was flying as a Christian because her relationship with her heavenly father was transformed. Now for me, that was a big, big step forward because I'm suddenly thinking, you know, Some of these things that I don't understand, I I feel like I'm making myself look silly. I'm stepping out into something that other people aren't going to understand and might even judge. But I know that God used that. So that experience, it was for her, but it was also for me. Of course, you know, you keep going on. You you keep having more experiences like this. Um, I, Met Becky at the, around about the same time I met John. Fortunately, I married Becky, not John. Um, and uh, when I was ordained, we went up and did the first curacy on the Wirral, just outside Birkenhead. And um, great little church, really tough kind of setting. Uh, I, I went there as a the curate in 1992 at the age of 12. And, um, uh, and we, we used to go to the States in the summer, so that we'd go back to see Becky's family in America. So we never went to the New Wine Summer Conference until much later. But by 1994, I was the trusted curate by then. I I was able to run the church in the absence of the vicar. And so what happened was we we put about 50 people from the church on a coach and sent them off to the New Wine Summer Conference. And a week later, we got a coach back full of 50 gibbering idiots. (laughs) Because in 1994, there was a very powerful move of the Holy Spirit that eventually got known as the Toronto Blessing, because it came out of a little church in Toronto. And and we had never seen manifestations of the Holy Spirit like this. I mean, people were doing all sorts of stuff. And our church just went into full-on revival mode immediately. We'd like six nights a a week come, worship, press into the presence of God. Um, It was a little church with just one aisle, quite long and thin. During that season, in 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 the evening service, people would come forward to ministry. I mean, almost everybody you prayed for would be slain in the Spirit. They would fall over because the presence of God was so powerful. And at the end of the service, literally, the vicar and I used to jump out of the window of the vestry, run through the graveyard to the back to shake hands as people came out. You know, Anglican you know, standards need to be maintained. Um, the reason was we couldn't get down the aisle because there were so many bodies. And so many people just collapsed in the aisle because they were just being overwhelmed by the presence of God. Now, I'm, I'm immediately involved in praying for people, seeing it happen and I'm being prayed for, and nothing. Abs, I mean, I'm a brick. You know, I'm, I'm, I am beyond, you know, that nothing, absolutely nothing is happening to me. And um, I, I, I was just getting really embarrassed about this. Now, one of the issues that I had in this was the whole falling over thing, because I had actually, in times of ministry, quite regularly experienced the presence and power of God as heaviness. Now, interestingly, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and kavod means weight, Um, so the weight of his glory. And you remember um, what happens when the the dedication of the temple happens to the priests? Glory of God comes down, and the priests can't stand up. So weight and glory are very closely related. A lot of people, when they're prayed for, feel the heavy presence of God. Some of you might so yeah, I think I've known that, I think I've known that. So I knew that, and I would feel the heavy presence of God sometimes. Um, but my big problem is my brain, because being a head-orientated person, I can't switch it off, and I'm always analysing what's going on. So this is probably embarrassing and quite ungodly, but every time you're praying for me, thank you for that, by the way, I'm trying to focus on God, but I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking about my environment, I'm listening to what they're saying over there as well, I'm analysing what's going on. And so when the, when, the, when the weight of the presence of God would be coming on me, I would be thinking about my centre of gravity and calculating my angle. You know, I'm a mathematician by background, that's the it's where I roll, you know. So I would be thinking, oh, that's interesting, I think I'm going to fall over in a minute, you know. And then what would happen is I would then take a step back and the whole thing would start again and I would have to take another step back, you know. And I used to say that sometimes I'd been walked from the front to the back of church, like one step at a time on, you know, it's not quite true. But... But the point is, what people fall over because they can't be bothered to stand up anymore. That's the truth. There's nothing, nothing supremely godly about falling over. It's just that they're just totally focused on whatever God is doing, and they're not thinking about what might happen. And so I realized, okay, that is actually me controlling. That is me analyzing. And the problem with analyzing is that you become a spectator rather than a participant, and that was deeply convicting to me, because I, I really did genuinely want to experience God for myself, not just experience God through me in ministry, but I wanted to know that, and so what I did was, I, I um, waited for Becky to go to work one day when I had a day off, and I listened to some cassette tapes, still back in the day, um, from Toronto, and on, on, on there, John Arnott was talking about how little phrases I remember like how sometimes God offends the mind to reveal the heart and actually he does things which you struggle with because he's saying do you really want me or do you want your sanitized version of me he talked about you know how we need to let go and let God do whatever he wants to do and all these things are really really challenging to me and I'm, I'm thinking. Okay, but I know, Lord, you honor my personality, you honor my wiring, this is who I am and how I am. And I know it's a gift. I know that because of this, that you know, I can teach, because of this, I can strategize, because of this, I can do various bits and pieces. And, but I don't wanna trust in my gift. I don't wanna over rely in that, that prevents me from having the fullness that you seem to be offering. Because I sense that this is for everybody, however we're made. You know, the move of the Spirit is not for a certain personality type or a certain type of, you know, stereotype of more emotional people who are able to go with that sort of thing. It's, it's also for us kind of rational, scientific, logical, left-brain thinkers. God loves us just as much. So I, I had what I believe to this day was a word of wisdom from the Lord. I listened to this tape. I'm really convicted and I suddenly, into my head comes, if your problem is falling over, why don't you cut out the middleman and lie on the floor to start off with? <laughs> I thought, that is absolutely brilliant, Lord. So that's what I'll do. So I, literally, so I lay on the floor, pillow down there, head on it, you know, put a cassette tape of worship on. And I looked at the ceiling and I said, Lord, if this is you, come and get me. And I, I, nothing happened for a few minutes, but I thought, I'm not going anywhere. Lord, if this is you, come Come, Lord. And gradually, I began to sense the presence and power of God. I recognized the, the feeling from, from times of worship and engagement, from when I was filled in you know, my bed as a student. Obviously, I always need to be lying down to receive anything from God. Um, I realised that now. But the, the power of God came on me um, in, a, in a beautiful way. There were things I experienced that I hadn't experienced before. Um, and in the middle of that, uh, the phone rang. And I, I, actually, I knew I could answer the phone if I wanted to. I knew I, could reassert, I would have to reassert control to do so. And I made a very good decision, which is, no, I'm going to let the answer phone take that one. And I just let whatever God was doing play out. And after about 20, 25 minutes of that, uh, just the pr- sense of the presence of God began to fade. And I thought, okay, I'll go see what that message was. And I played the message. And the message was a friend of mine who'd been ordained at the same time, was up in Newcastle, And he was on on the phone saying, have you heard about this weird thing the Holy Spirit is doing in the churches? What do you think? So I phoned him back and said, well, if you'd phoned me two hours ago, this is what I would have said. But let me tell you what just happened. And um, and I'm still on a journey. And I'm still a left brain dominated person. I'm still a, a thinker, logical, rational in the way that I go. I'm still not very emotionally present to God in the way that other people are. I receive loads of stuff by faith. I've got to that point. I thought, yeah, you have said it, Lord. I believe it. I've received it. You know. I, but actually, what's interesting is that the emotions are catching up all the time. You know, so I say, you know, we just need that to know the reality of it. That, that God, God wants each part of us to be fully engaged, even though in the way that He's wired us, we might be a different balance of things. Now, some of you are probably thinking, "You're weird." Um, Don't worry, you'll hear from Becky later. She's like you. Some of you are thinking, I can relate to that. So I'd love particularly to pray for those people before we take a coffee break. But let's remember that we're all a mixture. None of us are exclusively head over heart or exclusively heart over head. We're all this glorious kind of balance. And the way forward in God is that we allow him permission to meet us in the right way and we lay down our right, our demand to understand, and we lay down our, our demands to be in control, and we, we, we just say, Lord, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I know it will fit with who I really am, not who I think I am, but I want you more than anything else. Would that be a good prayer to pray? Yeah, great. Well, let's, um, let's stand if we're able. Whether we're standing or sitting, it's about being present to God and so i just encourage you to open yourself to him i do think it is actually helpful to take that open hand posture before god just helps us to remember that this is a moment for being vulnerable receiving holy spirit we welcome you again praise you for your presence we thank you that you're here. And we thank you that you've gathered us in this place because there are things that you want to give and to do in us today. And we ask, Lord, that any of the barriers in us, anything that would stop us from getting out of the boat and joining Jesus in the supernatural, we ask, Lord, that you graciously work in us to overcome them. so for all of us however God has wired us Lord we say we want to trust you with all of our heart and we do not want to lean on or be limited by our own understanding we lay down the demand to comprehend we lay down the demand that we be in control we surrender that understanding of you that we have that image of you because we know that those are too small we give you permission to fill us afresh to stretch us right now Lord be filling us in fresh ways come into different parts of our lives that we've locked off and not allowed you into that's it let him come let him come we never need to whip anything up but as the lord comes we just want to say thank you lord this is you thank you thank you lord more of you lord The power of God is just moving in this place. Some of you, you you sense his presence. Some of you, you're feeling it as as power, maybe as heat. Some of you are feeling it as the weight of glory that I spoke about earlier. So just say yes to God. If you need to sit down, sit down, that's fine. But do whatever you need to do so that you're able to to keep your eye fixed upon him. Some of you, perhaps it's just a settled sense of his peace. Or perhaps his power gently shaking you. I often feel the presence of God as pins and needles across my face. Lord, more, more of you, Lord.